I feel like now that I'm doing these audible sponsorships, I feel like, uh, I feel like Sesame Street, where I'm like, today is brought to you by the letter F, as in the fourth turning, a book about generational theory. <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about today. Generational theory. I'm going to break down the basics of it um, and how we can kind of use it. I think it's another, for me, it's been another way of, of thinking about the world at scale that helps me to maintain focus, to understand a little bit of the, the social chaos in a sense of what's happening, right? It's it's a way of of understanding, similar to if you were trying to do research on astronomy and understand the stars and the ways that planets move and the like combustions of gases and things like that. And that if you start to understand the interconnected nature of how these things form things and create other things, then there's a certain piece to that, or at least in my experience, there's a certain piece that comes with that. Not that there's a quote unquote order or design to things, but that there's at least a pattern. There is a way of recognizing a happening that is occurring. So I want to talk about generational theory in a way that's going to help maybe calm the mind a little bit when it comes to thinking about things at scale. It can be really dizzying if you're just thinking about like, the world's going crazy and there's global warming and we're gonna die, right? Everything just gets like generalized and chaos or we kind of default to a script. I've noticed that once we get to either, once we get to the end of a knowing about something, there's either the possibility of defaulting to some sort of script or you take on the, the humility and you say, I, I don't really know much about that, right? But a lot of people go into the script territory, right? And they just recite something that someone else said. And I think generational theory helps me to not necessarily just recite something that someone else said. And so having it be a theory is something that helps me to just sort of notice, right? It's not about taking this book and using it as a doctrine, which I know a lot of people are susceptible to, but if you are someone who is obviously you're here listening to these podcasts and you're a seeker of knowledge and truth and etc., uh, <laughs> that if you're trying to understand the nature of the universe and if you're someone who is an INTP or someone who's an intuitive person trying to understand the scope of what's happening in the world, I think it's really helpful for you to think, use this framework, but also you know, not get too attached to the meshwork or framework of what this is, but to then go out into the world and see it in action and start to notice like the conversations you're having maybe on Twitter or conversations you're having out in the world or seeing the things that people are talking about and seeing how that's manifesting. And I'll talk about that a little bit in this podcast. So uh, the basically supplemental book that goes along with this podcast is called The Fourth Turning. It is about generational theory by the the, I think it's the two people that created this generational theory idea. And it's very controversial, etc., because it is a theory. And usually theories are things that are based in a uh, complex assessment of, of hypotheses that then become this big idea that is maybe not necessarily materially provable, but there's a pattern we can continue to witness or, you know, it's missing information or it's missing some sort of vital component for it to feel like a law of the universe. And again, I think this, this is a pattern, right? This is just something that you can go back in time and track and notice that there is some sort of a pattern. Now, the pattern doesn't mean 
that the future is going to play out exactly the same way or that there's any guarantee that the wheel is going to keep turning. And we'll talk about what that means as we get into the podcast. So if you go to audibletrial.com slash dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E, you can get your first ebook for free So or your first audiobook for free. So if you go sign up, go get this book, you can listen to it. It's a hefty book. So there is an audiobook version of it and you can go give it a listen and then come back to this podcast or listen to this podcast first because this is kind of a primer and then you go into that and note that the book was written in the late 90s. So all of it goes up to that point and millennials were still pretty young. And I think what's interesting is that we are now 20 years past the writing of the book. So we have we can see the pattern emerging. I can see the pattern emerging with Gen, Gen Z and, uh, you know, being in this uh, territory of existence that we're in right now. And I'll talk about that in more detail as we get into the show. So I'm going to hit the button and do the thing. Let's go. AA is on a mission. Why? Because 54% of Black Americans don't have enough savings to retire. So in collaboration with big name artists like Wyclef Jean, TIAA released Paper Right, new music inspiring a new financial future. With 100% of streaming sales going to a nonprofit that teaches students how to invest. Stream Paper Right now and help close the gap. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. Inspired by actual events, the series tells the story of Truman Capote and the women he betrayed. The original housewives, they were society's most elite women. Rich, glamorous socialites who defined a bygone era of high society New York. From creator Ryan Murphy, this drama series features an all-star cast, including Naomi Watts, Demi Moore, and Diane Lane. FX's Feud premieres January 31st on FX Stream on Hulu. Okay, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to Dopamine. My name is Christian Rivera, aka C Note. And today I wanted to talk to you about generational theory, as I mentioned in the intro. And generational theory is it's big, it's complex, uh, it's a lot to talk about. So I'm probably going to record this in sections if it sounds a little disparate, so that I can break down as much as I can. But also at the same time, try to keep it simple because <laughs> it's a lot. So reading the book, as I said, or getting the audio book on audibletrial.com slash dopamine will be the most effective full range of understanding this, but I'm going to try to simplify it as best as I can. So what is generational theory? Generational theory is a pattern of generational archetypes and generational movements and how the, how the generations affect each other's energies generally at scale. So in a way, you've got a generation, you've got a response to that generation, and then you've got another response to that generation. And then the fourth generation in what's called the seculum, the seculum, S-A-E-C-U-L-U-M, 
fasciculum is the 80 to 100 year cycle of generations. So you can say that generations are 20 years cycles of people, right? You've got the baby boomers who were born in a particular time period, 20 year time period, then Gen X that was born in the next 20 year time period, I believe 1964 to 1984, uh, or maybe 1981-ish, something like that, maybe sooner than that. And then you've got millennials in 1981-ish to about 1998, 2000, something like that. Uh, and then you've got Gen Z right now that is about 2000 to about now. And so, and and the next generation is is just about being born as the circumstances start to change. And each generation also is marked by changes in circumstances, right? It's because the patterns shift and each generation gets into different um, different archetypes as they get older, right? Like, so you think about your young version of yourself. There's this idea of, um, for, for women in particular, there's like the maiden energy. It's like, you're kind of a young woman until about 25 or 30 years old. And then you get into mother energy at the second stage of your life. Think of it like a three or four act play, right? Second stage of your life, the maiden energy. And then you've got the crone energy when you're an older experienced woman, Right. And in generational theory, I can't necessarily remember what they're called. I forget. But they're there's sort of a think of it as split into four acts. So if you've got the baby boomer generation, there you've got like the young version, then you've got the adolescent young adult version, then you've got middle age, and then you've got elder. I think that's generally what it is. Young, um, uh, young, young adult, middle age, and then elder, right? And so You've got right now, you've got uh, baby boomers who are entering the elder territory and you've got the artist generation of the previous generation, the silent generation, as it were, leaving the, uh, the sphere altogether. They're lasting longer because people are living longer. But um, and as the shift starts to happen, you see millennials are kind of now in this uh, young adult moving into middle age. You've got... Um, uh, or no, uh, yeah, yeah, it's some, something like that. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. So let's pull it back. So you got the seculum, seculum, you've got this 180 to 100 year cycle with four generations split between them, right? And so it's not exactly 20 years. It's usually marked by something, as I said. So the, uh, the, the passing of the torch from baby boomer to gen x for example was marked by the assassination of jfk i believe 1964 i think if that's right uh and so that started to change it creates a social tone shift right and so if i pull back even further you've got this idea of the saculums and each saculum can be tracked back to the 1700s even further back i think that the book goes into and there are these generations. And if you're looking at the pattern of all of these generations and all of these 180 to 100 year cycles over the last few hundred years in Anglo-American history, which I should point that out, this is specifically Anglo-American history, not worldwide history or not even native or black or Spanish or anything like that. Because as much as we you know, sometimes have trouble wanting to admit it and uh, it's frustrating and there are tone shifting as a result of it. You know, America was very much founded on an Anglo-American, an Anglo sensibility, 
that's the ethnocentricity that forms a country. Every country has an ethnocentricity that 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 it's typically founded under. Even if the ideals are you know equality for everybody, they're typically still founded under an ethnocentricity, and we're unraveling all of that right now. That gets into more spiral dynamics territory, but specifically, generational theory is about Anglo-American history. So that's important to note. There are mentions of all sorts of other elements, but typically it's sort of like a top level uh, history. So it's not getting into the nitty gritty details. It's just like the big moments in history, which are typically in American history, marked by Anglo-American milestones. That's all. Um, That's that's important. That's an important disclaimer, I think. Um, I, but also not a reason to dismiss it, right? Because just because that's the case doesn't mean that those things are not real, right? (laughs) Those things didn't happen. We're filling in now in this modern history, the details that were omitted based on that Anglo-American history. And we're getting a fuller picture of history, right? A fuller, more accurate picture of history. Now, this isn't what I think the book does really well, what the fourth turning does really well, that even though it's an Anglo-American telling of history, it is not biased towards Anglo-Americans. Does that make sense? It's it's not, um, or at least it's attempting not to. Uh, it's not in favor of, if that makes sense. It's just simply using the information that's available. So I think that's important to be clear about. Uh, if there's any questions, you can you know ask for sure. Um, so uh, I'm getting into the weeds already because it's a lot. It's a lot to cover. So let's let's pull back to this saculum idea, right? Especially now in modern times. And the reason that I'm really covering this is because we are at towards the end of a saculum right now. So how can we visualize a saculum? I think of it. The reason the book is called the fourth turning is because there, if you think of it as four main sections, each generation represents a section, or you can think of it as four seasons. So I want to borrow your mind's eye for a second. And what I mean by that is just using your imagination to paint a picture. And if you find you're not good at visualizing, then you know you can draw it on a piece of paper while I talk about it. So draw a circle or think about a circle and then cut that circle into four quadrants. You can just cut it as an X, right? And so you've got one wedge up top, one wedge on the right, one wedge on the bottom, and one wedge on the left. On the top wedge is the word spring. On the right, you've got summer. On the bottom, you've got autumn. And on the left, you've got winter. And that's just the way I visualize it. It's not necessarily the official visualization, but this is maybe a way to help you understand it. And think of it as a wheel. It's a wheel or something that has maybe a knob in the center, something that you can turn, right? So each season turns and each season represents a different generation and a different tone of the time period as well. So think of it as uh, also visually add like an arrow at the top of the wheel, right? Almost like a wheel of fortune wheel where it's got the pegs and then it's got the arrow up top denoting which one is selected. So think about it that way. The, you know, you have some sort of arrow that's at the top pointing out which one is selected. So in this case, for this example, we'll start with spring. And so spring at the top, spring is in this modern seculum. The seculum is the entire wheel, right? The seculum is the entire wheel this 80 to 100 year cycle, as it were. And these cycles are 
something that stack on top of each other. So as you get through the four turnings and you get back to spring, it's actually another layer that's added on top. So it's a new generation. It's not exactly, and, and it's more of a mimetic type of thing. It's not, it's not where we're cycling back and in, into a uh, past, right? It's about a new version of a previous archetype is emerging. So like the generation Z, Gen Z is the equivalent of the silent generation in terms of its archetype. And that represents those who were born in winter. And right now we are in winter. So if I start with spring in terms of this diagram, we've got spring, which is when the baby boomers were born. You've, I think it was... <clears throat> 1940, uh, I think it was at the, towards the end of the world war two. So probably 1945, I think to about 1964. So it was like a 19 year time period ish, um, where all of the babies born there were the baby boomers. And this period is also referred to as the high. So it's like springtime. There's like emerging flowers. Everything's blooming. Everything's good. There's like almost like a happy time period feeling to it. It's an elation. And this elation comes usually at the result of winter being over, right? And the previous winter in terms of the previous seculum was World War II. World War II with Hitler and all the atrocities and, and all of this stuff that happened across the world. Uh, the high is that like, oh, we survived <laughs> and we won the war. And now in America, at least there is this high that happens and the high leads to everything's starting to slowly come together again. Everything starts to be renewed. There's this, you know, very similar to today in a strange way. Um, not today, literally, because we're not yet out of the current winter. But towards the end of the World War II winter, there's supply chain issues. Everything's uh, scarce and sparse. Uh, there's soldiers out at war. People are dying. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of dizziness. And so as we get into the high of spring uh, with that 1945 to 1964 period, if you go back into entertainment, first of all, the baby boomers were one of the first generations born into television and cartoons and entertainment created specifically for children. And I mean, before that, like children were basically being raised to be adults as quickly as possible. But in this case, children were finally uh, in a place where they were being kind of kept as children out of the affairs of adults and the idea is that the next generation is going to be able to enjoy the spoils and fruits of you know post-war and um you know not every parent was happy about that <laughs> you get a lot of really gruff parents of baby boomers that very much affected the baby boomer generation uh, but the high of this this time period uh, led to the baby boomers. Like that's what the name implies is that there was a massive boom of baby making that happened as a result of the end of the war and all these babies were born. <clears throat> so you get this high of a time period and might be why it was also a little bit shorter because a lot of babies happened really quickly. <laughs> so you get this spring time period that represents that. And then if you go after 1964, you've got the big moment was um, uh, JFK uh, assassination. And usually that moves into what the next one is, which is a summer. And it's also called the awakening. And so summer is uh, the awakening is this moment where 
now baby boomers who were in this youth young time period, this young and adolescent time period, now move into adolescence and young adulthood. And um, they are in this, you know, you got the summer of love, 1960s awakening time period. And awakening usually means some sort of spiritual or religious grand awakening. Like the entire generation essentially is is unifying under some sort of ideal or idea. And since they were super hyper-protected, um, not hyper-protected, but like given a, uh, a lot of care, they were given a lot of attention that there was not a lot of attention given towards uh, teaching them how to be an adult. They were just not really concerned with the matters of adulthood. So as they're getting older, it's like, well, we're going to play more, right? <laughs> and so there's a lot of free love and just doing whatever you want as uh, as this, you know, this act two version of a baby boomer. And at the same time, that's when Gen X starts to be born. And Gen X gets into this super young time period. And <clears throat> what's really interesting is that in this time period is the early stages of you're not in a high anymore, but now you're in the summer where you're like enjoying yourself. You're having a good time. You're everything's going well, but you know, towards the end of the summer, it starts to get really hot and it starts to get uncomfortable and things starts to shift and change. And, um, you're almost basking in the sun too much. <laughs> and, uh, I don't remember the exact moment. I think it was something related to the cold war, early 1980s. There was a moment in 1981. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was around the Reagan administration, that kind of thing. And I think it was 1981 that the baby on board signs were born. And that's when millennials started to be born. And so you've got a lot of, um, you've, you've got a lot of movies that start to happen where the adolescent or teenager or even the young child in the awakening time period is kind of like this this uh usually the bad guy <laughs> because gen x was like given this i this almost too much freedom so what i'm saying is that um while baby boomers were given the amount of care that uh, like a lot of care it sort of swung the other direction and since baby boomers were very self-occupied and had been very it's, you know they're typically called the me generation very self-occupied very spiritually occupied whether that's genuine or not, or just going with the tone of the times, um, there was a lot of, you know, parents leaving to go on retreats or to go to concerts or whatever, and leaving their kids at home. You know, we got the idea of latchkey kids as a result of parents, you know, going off and doing whatever they want and being hyper unattended, right? So, in a way, spring was a way of giving kids more freedom because there was a safer environment. Everything felt safer. There was a high post-war. You're not in crisis mode anymore. Go play. Have a good time. Be home by nine or whatever. And then now this baby boomer sensibility of applying freedom, almost over-applied freedom. So gave uh, Gen X almost like no care or no attending to. <laughs> and so that's where you get the latchkey kids where, cause parents were just going and doing their own thing, whether they were working or playing or whatever, they were just, it was very much like, yeah, yeah, the kids will be fine. 
And uh, that led to a lot of Jet Xers getting caught up in a lot of <clears throat> very street smart kind of things and started to lead to the next turning, which is fall that gets into what's called the unraveling. So you've got the high, you've got the awakening, and then the third is the unraveling. And the unraveling is this time period where you've got the shift where now boomers are moving into a middle age, um, middle age or adulthood kind of thing. There might be five actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there may be five sections. I forget. Um, uh, I should probably, let me pause and I'll look that up real quick. Okay, so yes, I have confirmed that there are basically four acts. You've got children from age zero to 21. You've got young adults from 22 to 43. You've got people in midlife from 44 to 65. And then you've got elder from 66 to 87. And so with each turning of the dial, as it were, each generation is moving into their next stage of life. And so as they move into their next stage of life, the overall tone of the the energy or the vibe of the generation starts to change, right? You've got this new generation that is coming in that completely creates new ideals for what this new generation could represent or not. <laughs> um, and then you've got people moving from childhood into the next stage. And then you've got, um, which I already forgot what it was into young adult, right? Childhood into the next stage, young adult. Then you've got young adults who are moving into midlife, and then you've got elder midlife people moving into elderhood, right? So in this case, you've got um, with, let's say, for example, with the spring, you've got the high, right? And baby boomers are being born. You've got the silent generation that is now moving into uh, young adulthood. And then you've got the, uh, what is the, the hero generation. Um, God, it's blanking. But the previous generation, the World War II generation, essentially, the greatest generation, that's what it is. Greatest generation is now moving into midlife. They've fought on a war. Now they've got all sorts of, uh, uh, now they've got things that they can, you know, contribute to society. And then the previous, I, th I think it was the lost generation was the generation before, um, the greatest generation, and then they moved into elderhood. And so just to illustrate the idea that as the wheel turns, not only the general season changes and you get a new generation, but then you got every existing generation shifting general tone. Now this isn't like literal, it's more gradual. And so it's not like a turn and everyone suddenly shifts into their next mindset, right? Uh, but it's more gradual as the tone happens right and and that's just kind of happens naturally right as like new babies are starting to be born the children are like oh i'm not the child anymore i have to start to move into the next thing and that happens with you know generally with age as well right so with uh, the the next section being about the the summer and the awakening this is when boomers were starting to move into young adulthood and they were doing the summer of love situation and they were um, very much, uh, what's the word? 
I don't want to say narcissistic, but there's a lot of self-focus, right? So the there's there's very much a self-focus for um that has been publicly criticized. This is not my personal opinion, but that's been publicly criticized as the me generation. And so they very much indulged in summer, right? Summer of love, lots of drugs, lots of spirituality, lots of sex, all of that stuff, right? And so that that overwhelming um, happening, you know, has ripple effects, right? You've got this new generation coming in, and with the new generation coming in, and all of this summer of love stuff happening, and a lot of people being very self focused, the kid the kids get kind of under attended to, and um, underindulged, right? So you've got the baby boomers who are perhaps overindulged, and then you got this pendulum swing where uh, you've got. Uh, Gen X, who is like under attended to, you've got the latchkey kids and all of that stuff, which I already mentioned before. So you've got that general tone shift where, where there's a lot of sunshine, there's also a lot of shadow, right? And so there's a lot of people indulging in the sunshine, but underneath the surface, there's this next generation that's being kind of ignored. And that's typically the story of Gen X, right? Like there's kind of ignored and pushed under and they're literally called gen x it's just like a generic term and uh, not giving any kind of fancy wording so that sort of sets the stage for the next shift where we move into autumn which is uh, about 1981 to 2001 and marked by i think soviet russia and all of that stuff i forget the exact um moment that made us shift but you generally there's this shift and change towards um, as Gen Xers are being unattended to, you know, they're in the streets and doing whatever they want to do. And there's a lot of emerging uh, jankiness around, you know, there's more crime and it's become generally unsafe. And uh, the general tone is becoming a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more, um, it's less peachy, right? So if you think about, the idea of quote unquote, make America great again. That's usually, that's a baby boomer referencing the time that they were born in in spring where everything was like super safe and great, you know, quote unquote safe, right? It's all very relative, but um, because there were also a lot of awful things happening at that time as well. And the book covers those things in detail. Um, But in terms of the Anglo-American perception, everything was super safe. You can go out and do whatever you want. Whereas by the time we get to basically the other side, the underside, the unraveling uh, period, which is also the nickname for autumn, you start to see uh, an, an increase in crime. The As baby boomers move into midlife and start to take up political positions, there's, again, a, that self-focus still kind of creeps in and it's a little bit indulgent. You get a lot of indulgence in the 80s of... Um, uh, a little bit more grubby in terms of like resources and stuff like that. And um, not again, Gen X is like kind of just treated as the awful generation (laughs) or like, you know, uh, these kids that are hopeless. And so two things change. One thing is that baby boomers have this almost like personal awakening or attempt to where they're like, okay, we need to buckle down and, treat our kids better, uh, quote unquote. 
And so literally baby on board signs were, were invented around, I think, 1981 and uh, in that early 80s time period. And there's a lot more care put towards children. There's a lot more attention. And even baby boomers themselves start to take on religions. They start to become more conformist. They start to um, they start to almost hyper discipline and buckle down a little bit or at least attempt to. Uh, and so you've got a lot of people converting suddenly to a religion or some something that provides some sort of discipline, handing their kids over to cults un, unexpectedly, or evangelical Christianity, which I also think is a cult. Sorry if you're listening, but that's my honest opinion. <laughs> um, and uh, that's something important to you, but uh, that is not great for a lot of people. Anyway, uh, and, and I, I will say that I have a personal attachment to this. Like my parents very much went through their own come to Jesus moments in the mid eighties. Right. My name is literally Christian Adam Rivera, right? Like, the, <laughs> like there's, there's nothing much more obvious than that. And so collectively boomers were putting out more messaging about taking care of your kids and um, cleaning up the streets. And there's a lot of PSAs that came out with cartoons and uh, stuff like that. It just became much more, um, intensely focus on protecting your children, not your teenagers. Gen Xers were still kind of ignored. Gen Xers were treated as a lost cause. You're right. And you see a lot of TV shows in that time period where Gen Xers are like the grungy, uh, angry teenager. And then you've got this like protected, beautiful, um, cared for and overly idealized child. You're, you know, you've got this new child that's like, okay, you're going to fix everything, right? And that's very much affected millennials as we've, uh, as we are now currently aging into um, midlife as the next turning happens. We're still in young adult, but midlife is looming. And so uh, as millennials are being born, there's this idealism that baby boomers are taking on that is being transferred to their new children. Gen Xers are kind of caught in the middle with young adulthood, trying to figure out their own way through life. And there's this sort of unraveling happening on all cylinders, right? And so you can see how the unraveling happens and popular culture starts to become this expression of, of Gen X hopelessness. And, um, and, but also at the same time, this like singular figure that takes on the, you know, some sort of impending future. Like, you know, you have no future, you've got the Terminator and there's no version of the Terminator where the future is bright, <laughs> you know, um, maybe if they made the Terminator today, they would try to do that. But um, the Terminator in the eighties was very much about, you know, John Connor coming back from the future and the future sucks. And we've, gotta not do certain things but we do those things anyway and the future still happens because we're overindulging and then you've got a lot of slasher films that are about like condemning and killing teenagers <laughs> who are having sex and doing bad things that are very much judgments from on high from boomers and elders um, and the artist generation and stuff like that the artist generation is also very much affected by these turns right they still exist um, in smaller numbers but um they had moved into the elder position in this time period and were very much taking office for a very long time. And the artist generation really held on 
and still holds on. Joe Biden is part of the artist generation. He's still there. So the artist generation still have very much has the uh, silent generation still has very much influence. And so there's a lot of that that still plays in plays a part. Anyway, um, that's not very specific. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've got the 90s, you've got a lot of cartoons. I also re re recognize in my own personal history, you know, I was born in 1985. So I'm kind of I get caught up in the unraveling part because it meant a lot to me reading this, that to understand my own personal history really helped. Like history leading up to my existence really helped me understand the nodes in my own personal system and why things have kind of played out the way that they have and how now that I go back and revisit old cartoons or old TV shows, it's like a lot of game shows were about educating millennials. It was a lot about making sure that millennials, you know, have a good education because that was what boomer parents and artist and silent generation parents were fed is like, and not fed, but like what honestly worked out is like get an education get a good job, get a house, you know, do the whole thing, um, the whole nuclear family situation, but not taking into account the change in circumstance, right? And that's really what we're reconciling with now is like not adapting to the change in circumstance. So by the time millennials grew up and did do that, we got into a lot of debt and we kind of got screwed <laughs> into uh, a lot of pressure and unrealistic expectations based on our ability. And now we'll, there's a lot of educated millennials that are just being jerks because we know too many things and are not really doing a lot with those knowings. <laughs> um, that's not true. There are a lot of millennials are doing great things, but it's going to be like kind of a late blooming kind of thing for millennials um, as we continue to move into midlife and probably make some changes and adapt to the circumstance. And it sounds like I'm probably beating on boomers quite a bit, but there's nothing. I mean, they're, they're also responding to their life circumstances. And that, that's what all of this is about. It's just like seeing these cycles as responses. Right. And so as we move into the 2001 time period and we turn the dial to winter, it's also called the crisis. And in the past, there has always been a major moment during the crisis, um, World War II, the American Revolution, uh, Civil War, uh, I can't remember other ones, um, but there's all sorts of different major moments that happen as a result of, of everyone in the cyclum now existing. It's like all the pieces are on the board, and now we got to figure out what we're going to do with all these pieces, you know, like which ideals are going to stand out, which way of living is going to win out. Um, how can we adjust for the coming future? How can we uh, also tackle whatever the existing crisis is? Now, the crisis is not the pandemic. The crisis was actually the war on terror, um, 2001, uh, triggered by 9-11. And so it's actually really interesting. You've got this end cap of Afghanistan, uh, this uh, Taliban shift of power in the last, I think it was last year, that happened. Um, you know, it's so funny. Everything is like 20 year nostalgia and it's like 20 year nostalgia. The war on terror came back. Um, but the crisis mode is this general shift of like all of the old systems start to crumble or get hyper criticized or, uh, everything gets busy and changes. Um, <clears throat> and so you've got 
this time period marked by a couple major things and things that I can more easily speak about because I actually exist existed during these time periods. Uh, but you've got 9-11, you've got the 2008 financial crash, you've got millennials uh, graduating from college in the late 2000s, maybe early 2010s, and now trying to get into the job force and all of that financial hubbub. Um, you've got shifts in emerging technology and um, then you've got the war on terror and all of that stuff. So there's all sorts of things. And now we've got the pandemic happening on kind of like the tail end, right? And each crisis is capstoned or marked by the, or ended by some sort of catalyst. Like there's something big enough that happens that forces a change to happen. So I don't, so if you really think about <clears throat> like the World War II, for example, um, World War II was a much more complex situation. We always think about just like Hitler and uh, internment camps and stuff like that. Not internment camps, um, concentration camps. And it's way more spread out and complicated than that, right? With Germans and Germany, Germany was dealing with the fallout of World War I and economic crashes. And then they were actually starting to come back up. And then they had their own crash as a result of the 1920 um, stock market crash. And that also tanked Germany, who was on the up and up, but they were also on the up and up in very brittle circumstances. So when they crashed, the country got into like even crazier uh, sensitivity, right? And that's when Hitler emerged and was able to take on power and stuff like that. And so there is a, a time period in this crisis where there is a sensitivity to the idea at scale of like, if people are perceiving that everything's falling apart, people are willing to take on a leader who is going to go to extremes. And I think I, while I wouldn't personally make the comparison of Donald Trump to Hitler, I think he represents that faith in some sort of strong hand of power, the perception, at least, you know, I don't think he's a particularly um, quote unquote powerful person, but he exudes that or at least tries to right? Um, he, he gives that sense of confidence to his followers and that was a very similar idea to what had happened with World War II in that people put their faith and trust in Hitler. It's not that Hitler just like forced himself into power. Um, funny enough, I actually realized that um, over time, it was a slow political thing. Like he, Hitler had tried to do the more aggressive style of takeover and that didn't work out. He was put in jail when he was in jail, he wrote the Mein Kampf and started to create political aspirations and things got a little bit more nuanced and he was able to then be able to have a more nationalistic, bigger picture kind of thing. Now, I think we're, you know, grateful that Donald Trump is more comedy than terror, but um, it's a very similar idea in terms of someone who is seeing a gap in power and jumping in to quote unquote save the day. And so I think you've got this idea of of someone who is, you know, emerging to try to take the take the reins in a crisis period because people are vulnerable, people are sensitive, they want things to just get better, and people when people get desperate, they don't make good decisions. And I think many of us feel that, 
whether it's, you know, I'm not saying a specific political party or anything. I think we've all been stressed out in this crisis period. And so I'm suspecting as a result of all of this, that the catalyst of the pandemic, that this might be the last thing. It's lasting a long time. But as we get through this over the next few years, it was originally forecast that the crisis was going to happen in 2005 to 2025. And in reality, I think it was 2001. And so that means now it's 2022. And so we might be towards the end here. We might be getting in transition out. And I say transition because it's not going to be like a moment, right? It's not like um, it's not like World War II ended and suddenly all the shelves were stocked and everything's back to normal. There's a transition period. But I think we'll be moving into the high within the next few years. And I think that's marked by emerging technologies happening with blockchain and um, uh, things that the artist generation are grabbing hold of, right? So uh, let's... So let me let me pause for a moment, catch my breath, and then I think we can talk about um, the archetypes for each generation and then kind of wrap up. Okay, so you can see, strangely, I mean, for me, at least when I talk about it, when I read about it, two things really made me feel comfortable. One, that the pattern is continuing. That in a sense, the, by the pattern continuing, there is this idea of refresh and renewal, right? We think of, I think because of um, the way that we think about time or that we represent time on a page, we think about time as linear. But I think generational theory helps us to think about time in a more cyclical kind of way. Because the ideas of the past and the future don't actually exist. These are things that we keep records of, that we can track, and understand the karmic nodes of what led to our existence today. And then therefore, maybe make some speculations about the future. But the future is always an imagination. The future is not something that ever exists. It's not an actuality. So while in the late 90s, this book could predict that the crisis was going to occur, it couldn't couldn't exactly predict what the crisis was going to be. So when I say that these saculums are mimetic, it's that these patterns are occurring because it's what, what is patterned is the response and that the response keeps going and keeps turning, right? You've got this um, overindulged baby boomer generation that leads to underindulging their children that leads to um, overprotecting the second child or overindulging, uh, uh, not, not overindulging, overprotecting um, the second child and then full out suffocating the, the, the final crisis generation because the mood of the time period, the artist generation, the, in this case, Gen Z is like practically suffocated, right? <laughs> so you know, in this case, we literally can't go anywhere with the pandemic or haven't been able to in, in in like the normal scale. And so all of these kids that are emerging into childhood and now moving into young adulthood are doing so in kind of a stunted way. Uh, you know, even before the pandemic started, there was a lot of Gen Z kids that I would meet that are really uncomfortable by themselves. Um, 
but when they're in a group, they feel much more comfortable and they feel a bit more, um, uh, I don't know, there's, there's a life to them, but when they're by themselves, there's like a social anxiety that's ever present. And so as they start to move into young adulthood and they become more expressive and they become more lively and, um, take on this, uh, conformist vibe as it were, um, there's this feeling of, um, of, of them being a more practical future for Gen X to nurture and for millennials to nurture, to like get to work. Right. <laughs> so Gen X is like, we need to fix all this stuff. And then millennials are like, yeah, we need to fix all this stuff. And then, uh, it's like the, it's like the, the Gen Z are the soldiers in this modern kind of culture war. And that's really another thing I didn't mention in the in the crisis is that there's very much a culture war happening right now as well, which I think is pretty obvious. So um, this chart that I was looking at is confusing, and I'm not sure that I was reading it right. So I wanted to. Um, so let me let me read this real quick because we've got basically each generation represents kind of an archetype, as it were, right? So I keep mentioning the word artist or hero, or I don't know if I mentioned hero, but, um, there is this, uh, there's these four archetypes. So for the boomer generation, you've got the prophet for Gen X, you've got nomad for the millennials, you've got hero. And then in the uh, for Gen Z, it's the artist generation. And what's really interesting is that if you go back in time and read all sorts of different stories, this order of hero, of, of prophet, nomad, hero, and artist plays out in terms of uh, elder to youth sort of lineage, right? So uh, the book goes into more detail and gives more examples. The fourth turning gives way more examples um, about this. What's funny is I, there was a book, there was a show that I used to watch as a kid called Mighty Max. And Mighty Max is a really good example of the time period where there is the this prophet sort of character that can't personally do what they want to do, but they sort of cast a prophetic future on the younger person in this case max and then you've got the nomad character which is very much like the the beefed up bandana uh sword on his back like almost the bounty hunter type of character um which is probably why boba fett was so so popular too um there's this like sort of uh self-focused uh not self-focused but this like self-protective self-efficient self-sufficient uh, type of character that I think the nomad generation typically represents. And then you've got the hero, Max, who is just like, quote unquote, predestined hero. There's no skills. There's no reason other than we just chose this hero generation to be the hero. You're going to fix everything. You know, my, my, I remember my parents growing up were always say like, oh, you're going to be something someday. Even to this day, when I've been something, I've done things. There's always this, you're going to do something someday. <laughs> like you're going to be something. You're, and um, 
you know, that's a lot of pressure that the millennial generation has gotten as the hero generation. There's this feeling like you're going to fix it. You're going to save everyone. And there's like a massive anxiety amongst millennials because there's this high expectation and the reality of it is not quite there. And so there's this massive disparity between the imagination and reality that creates this anxiety. Generally speaking, depression is is more of a fixation on the past. Anxiety is a fixation on the future. And with millennials, we've been given this anxiety in a sense by casting this prof- prophetic future of who we're supposed to be. And that's not to say that I'm blaming boomers or blaming anyone who has casted that upon millennials because they're reacting as well, right? They're reacting to their previous cycle, right? So that's why I say that these are cycles because the cycles just keep turning. It's like the same kinetic energy keeps turning over and over again and creating these different energies that will keep moving the things forward. So I hope that makes some sort of sense. Um, So there's a, there's a nature, there's a certain resting into the fact that this is just happening. Like this is like, not something I can do anything about, <laughs> which I know can feel maybe a little bit helpless at first. Like I can't really change anything or like, maybe there's this feeling of like, well, yeah, but like if we try really hard, we could change like, no, this thing is bigger than anything that we can do anything about um, in any sort of immediacy. All we can do is ride the wave as best as we can. Right. If there's a tsunami coming, you don't point at the tsunami and say like, well, that tsunami should not be there. <laughs> um And in a way, like to say that we can change the cycle is to say that we can change nature. That's a very human hubris, right? And it's sort of the aspect of human nature that keeps evolving societally. These are the cycles of human society, or at least Anglo-American society, right? Um, I would love to see this applied to other countries and, and, you know, see if there's some patterning there. But as it stands, this is about this. So there's the four archetypes and this uh, this thing I've got here starts with hero. So it says hero, artist, prophet, nomad. And so um, there's a list of generations. I'm not going to go into that. So reputation as a child, the hero generation, the reputation is that they are good. The artist generation have, uh, reputation is that they are placid which is a really interesting word. I got to look up placid. What does that quite mean? I know it's like a stillness or um, of a person or animal, not easily upset or excited, right? Just kind of like stoic, right? You've got the silent generation is kind of that same vibe. The prophet generation uh, reputation is like spirited. I think of um, Charlie Brown and those, the Charlie Brown bunch, they're always just like dancing and stuff, which is a very spirited energy. Um, I think our kids, I'm not sure of when the next profit generation is starting. Uh, it was supposedly saying it was around 2015. I'm not sure, but our kids very much have like that spirited kind of energy. So I'm not sure. Uh, and then the nomad generation reputation was that they were bad, bad children. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's a bummer. Uh, so the, the coming of age vibe for each hero, for each archetype is that the hero is empowering the artist is unfulfilling the prophet is sanctifying and nomad is alienating so this sort of separation or getting closer to society right so for for 
the millennials, this empowering is like, you know, this energy of like putting everyone's energy towards this next generation. Like everything's going to shit. You could fix it. <laughs> like empowering and all the bit of energy. It's like education and time and energy. It's just a lot of um, intense energy put towards them. I forget what the word was. Um, conforming power. No. Um, heroic suffocated yes suffocated um is the word that i'd seen for um the uh millennial young generation suffocated so primary focus coming of age for the hero is the outer world for the artist it's interdependency community for the prophet it's the inner world self me me generation and then for the nomad, it's self-sufficiency. And I think that makes the most sense, right? So the hero millennial generation is like, we need to fix the globe, global warming. Like everything is very much like outer world. Um, and even movies in the crisis time period, a lot of them, like Marvel movies, are all about big picture crises, right? Thanos, <laughs> all of that stuff. Outer world, everything's going to shit and I need to fix it. Because <laughs> um, that narrative was beat into us. And then the artist generation is very much like looking at each other and interdependent and trying to figure stuff out. TikTok, like there's a lot of people trying to figure out like taxes and talking about it on TikTok and teaching each other things because there's not a lot of focus on out to in. It's not like the millennials where we're putting all of our resources and attention into these children. We're suffocating the artist generation and overprotecting them. So they have to rely on each other to learn a lot about how the world works. And then the prophet generation is inner world focused, me, myself, the awakening, you know, what I want, what I feel, spirituality, all of that stuff. And then self-sufficiency for the nomad is really feeling that I need to take care of myself because my parents are not around and I got to learn how to handle and, and especially with the crisis mode, not crisis mode, uh, unraveling with crime increasing and stuff like that, I need to learn how to handle myself or take care of myself. Um, so a lot of that energy, uh, young adulthood for the hero, it's about building. Right. And so we've been in young adulthood for the last, uh, 20 years or so now. And, uh, we're towards the end tail end of young adulthood. And, uh, for millennials, it's just about building and, um, we may not necessarily be doing it very well, but that's the focus is trying to build upon, you know, your life. Uh, artist generation will be focused on improving, you know, refining. And uh, that's what's coming is the ability to refine systems and, and have a sense of, of um, uh, while they become much more conformist because they're interdependent, they're going to be able to improve the situation. Uh, reflecting for the profit and then competing for the nomad because of the self-sufficiency with compete with uh, the nomads, there's going to be this individualistic competition. So you can see how nomads are hyper individualistic and the artist generation is hyper conformist. And then you've got the hero and profit kind of in between, right? Where you've got hero moving towards conformity and then you've got the profit moving towards individuality. And so uh, you've also got this this general feeling that heroes and prophets are getting a lot more attention. They're a little bit more extroverted in nature, whereas the artist and nomad 
are a little bit more introverted in nature, a little bit more quiet or self-focused, even though there's a conformity with the artist generation, it's still quieter. And um, the nomad is just kind of ignored, right? So transition to midlife. Uh, the hero is energetic to hubristic, you know, and man, is there ever hubris <laughs> than there ever has been for the millennial generation um, in thinking how much we can do, right? And I think what's going to shift for millennials, hopefully, is a more pragmatic nature. There's a lot of idealism centered around millennials and what we can or can't do. And there's a lot of energy around it, right? Like Black Lives Matter. There's a lot of uh, social movement energy and trying to change the world. Um, but usually changes happen um, in longer spurts, right? There's this idea that like, we can change the world with one big swing. And it's like, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, but it's entertaining in terms of like Marvel movies and stuff. <laughs> uh, the artist generation becomes conformist to experimental in transitioning to midlife. So that conformist idea, um, what happened with the previous artist generation, the silent generation, is that they were, um, they started to, in midlife, the boomers were in young adulthood. So they were doing this, the summer of love and all of that stuff. And they were able to do the summer of love because the silent generation was working and they were handling everything, right? They were, they were handling business. So um, while this younger generation was partying, now this like midlife generation of the artist generation is like, okay, I've been really doing what I'm supposed to do. Why am I not having fun? Like everyone else is. I want to, I want to have fun. Like they're having fun. So there's this idea of like, um, moving from conformist to being more experimental and being more, um, open, right. Moving, basically transitioning from being conformist to individual. And you can kind of see this with each generation too, as they get older, you know, there's the, the hero generation, for example, starts as this like semi-conformist, idealized, collective vibe. And then as the generations get older, as uh, the hero generation gets older, they start to transition towards um, kind of thinking in the other direction. So let me pick the uh, more obvious example. So you've got the, uh, the nomad generation, uh, Gen X, who is a little bit more individualist, transitioning into being able to be more pragmatic and therefore actually be more helpful to the masses. So there's this like shift in energy at some point and kind of depending on what they see in the world. So for the transition to midlife for the artist generation, it's going from conformist to experimental. You know, you're living this life of doing what you need to do, which is like, it seems counter to what's happening right now in terms of like the, the great resignation. But I actually think of it as like the great pullback. It's like the the pulling back on the slingshot. And I think the entirety of Gen Z at one fell swoop is going to figure out what they want in a job or like jobs are going to conform to what Gen Z wants. And then once that happens, Gen Z is just going to come out in droves and do the work. Right. And so they're going to get into that young adulthood, improving things where they're just like, you know, banging the hammer on stuff and making things happen. Right. Once we figure out what they can do. And so, once they transition to midlife, it's going to go from this conformist place to like, okay, well, I've done all of my work and I want to start doing something different. I want to start being more individualistic or experimenting. And um, that's what that means. 
And then the profit generation or boomers moving transition in midlife from detached to judgmental is, you know, not being so involved in the happenings of the world, uh, you know, kind of being more inner focused and me focused, moving from this inner world focus to suddenly being judgmental about the outer world, about other generations, about what people are doing. Um, and uh, that's really what, you know, uh, it's it's the idea of, it's that transition that happened in the unraveling where they went from young adult adulthood into midlife and suddenly became, you know, hyper-religious or hyper-disciplined. And so being judgmental about the amount of freedom that Gen X has, um, but in a unhealthy way and seeing them as bad kids and um, ruiners of society um, the the whipper the the whippersnappers. <laughs> I don't know what the words were used for Gen X, but there's a lot of um, negative language, so very judgmental um, in that transition. And then um, Gen X goes from in in midlife the transition to midlife, which is uh, which happened in 20 years ago, from frenetic to exhausted. And it seemed like to me, it felt like Gen X just went off the map 20 years ago. Um, at least in terms of, you know, there was a lot of energy happening. There was, uh, uh, like Gen X was very much the forefront of attention. And then they just like stopped <laughs> and millennials came to the forefront and, uh, it's like Gen X just like kind of got to work on their own stuff or like slowed down and really focused and concentrated. And there was a different kind of energy. And now it's different um, as the, you know, there there's a leadership style entering adulthood, uh, entering elderhood um, for uh, Gen X, where I don't know if Gen X would be quite elderhood yet. Um, yeah, the oldest, I think the oldest Gen Xers would be moving into um, elderhood is being more pragmatic being just like a more focused energy, right? Less crazy competing energy, um, but more focused and pragmatic and like, let's get the things done that need to get done. And so for the profit generation, leadership style entering adulthood is righteous and austere. You've seen a lot of that. The first, um, the first boomer president was Bill Clinton, I believe. And uh, I, I believe Donald Trump was a boomer. Uh, Obama, Obama was a boomer. I think everyone since has been a boomer. Bush was also a boomer. And there's a lot of, um, I don't think there's any mistake that we've been moving into more of a righteous territory with that leadership style with, you know, being much more judgmental. Um, and, uh, there's, there's a lot of nodes in the system in terms of divisiveness and stuff, but, uh, I think that's a major element is, the sort of righteousness, righteousness leadership style. Um, Joe Biden is currently an artist generation, which is um, pluralistic and indecisive in terms of a leadership style. So because of this movement from conformist to experimental, now there's this like opening up, right? It's going from tighter to open in terms of the artist generation. And so Joe Biden representing the silent generation um is now moving into more of a pluralistic space, space which also represents six green and spiral dynamics. Um, 
and less less decisive. I don't want to reference Joe Biden specifically as a representative of the artist generation, but typically moving into a more like much more expressive. There's a lot of older uh, artist generation who are much more expressive than they ever were. And then you've got the leadership style of, of heroes moving into uh, elderhood, and that would be collegial and expansive. So finally taking on the role that they've basically wanted to all their life now that you're older and you things are in a better place. Um, I think by the time uh, millennials would be in elderhood, it would be the summer again. So it would be the awakening period again. And so this opportunity to take that seat at the table that you've wanted to take all of your life or that you've been fed all of your life, basically, to be collegiate and expansive and um, someone that everyone talks about. <laughs> it's like someone who, who did a lot of amazing things, uh, potentially. So the reputation as a leader for the hero generation is that they are powerful and that there's a, there's an empowerment because like, that's the idea, the coming of age idea for hero generation was that they would be powerful. And I think if you feed enough of an idea into something, it will eventually blossom into that. Uh, the artist generation becomes sensitive instead of being like kind of hard shelled and interdependent and conformist, they will end up being much more sensitive and, um, uh, as as a reputation as an elder, the prophet will perhaps finally get the reputation as being wise. Um, and for the boomer generation, that might mean a lot of growth happening for that generation over the next uh, 20 years or so. And then the nomad generation will be seen as tough. And uh, instead of just uh, alienating or competing, it will be more of a, a, a toughness. And then how they're treated as elders and this is based on this graphic that I see, um, they will, the hero generation will be rewarded. Uh, the uh, artist generation will be liked. The prophet generation will be respected. And then the nomad generation will be abandoned. Damn. <laughs> it's awful. Um, but I mean, it's sort of a reflection. It's like this breathe in, breathe out cycle, right? Of what is what happened in childhood, you know, when people are treated as, as, um, elders, you know, especially much older when you're much more dependent again, it's like how everyone's going to treat you as you're dependent. Right. So going to be reward. The heroes are rewarded. The artists are liked and, uh, and, uh, the prophets are respected and the nomads are abandoned, uh, yet again. Um, because of not just because of everyone else, but also because of their path in life, that there's been a lot of self-sufficiency and competing and that maybe self-abandonment, not abandoning self, but like creating the circumstances so that they become abandoned or maybe they don't have family or whatever variation of circumstances. So we did end up getting in the weeds <laughs> with this, but there's a lot of amazing charts in the book. So if you do get the physical book, there are some really good um, charts. You can even Google them as well that describe all of the different um, characteristics that represent each archetype uh, and the seasons of, of time. I'm probably going to listen to the audiobook again because it was really, really good. Again, audibletrial.com slash dopamine. And you can get your first ebook for free, uh, audiobook for free. 
and check that out. So that's as much as I think I want to cover. Uh, there's a lot more nuance. And there's a lot more detail. History is complex. And even the book can't cover all of the history that we're uncovering today. Um, so hopefully, you know, there will be revisions of it or, you know, ways to look at it. I'm sure there are people talking about it online and trying to figure out what's happening. Um, but I'm hoping that as a result of listening to this or reading the book, you can get a better understanding that, um, that A, there is this feeling of like we're riding the wave and it, there's nothing wrong with focusing on figuring out how you can better ride the wave instead of pointing at the wave and wishing it wasn't there right? Things, there's a lot happening within the collective unconscious. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of energy. Everything's moving. There's so many people. And these are just the bigger picture patterns of the ways that people are moving, at least in, in the Anglo-American terms. So it's, I'm not presenting this as an absolute truth. I'm presenting this as an idea. And I think it's interesting to think about. And then the other side of that, the the B or the two <laughs> aspect is uh, understanding my personal history. All of the nodes that led up to my existence helps me understand my karma. What do I carry with me? And karma doesn't mean some sort of external judgment that's going to cast anything upon you. But it's like, why would I? Why was I raised the way that I was raised? Why was I? Why were the circumstances around me what they were? You know, why were, and, and collectively, like, why was a generation such as millennials raised the way that they were raised? Why is Gen Z the way that they are? <laughs> why are Gen X the way that they are? Why are boomers the way that they are? And how all of this continues to turn and cycle. So as I said, right now we're entering the end of the crisis. We might be entering a high within the next few years. And, you know, the dial is slowly turning as we begin the next cyclum and begin an opportunity for renewal and a new time period where we can actually relax and rest. And I'm, I'm excited for that um, possibility. We have to get through the pandemic. Again, there's no guarantees. We have to get through these things and uh, evolve. And, you know, all of these turnings just re represent possibilities and opportunities and I think for me, that's something I'm very comfortable with personally. So I can rest into that and um, maybe not panic about the big picture things of the world as much because they're going to happen whether I watch them or not. So I appreciate you for listening. This has been a lot. Let me know if you have any questions in the comments below or if there's any other topics related to this you'd like me to cover. And I'm just covering this because... I think it's helpful for the anxiety and personal mental peace, but also I just thought it was really interesting and something I just got to get out of my head. So <laughs> share with the world and catalog in some way, shape or form. So I appreciate you so very much for listening. I have been Christian Rivera and continue to be again, audibletrawcom slash dopamine. And if you want to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash dopamine, and also dopamine.teachable.com if you're an INTP who are who is in need of personal growth advice. We have relationships, productivity, and general empowerment courses for you to learn and grow as an INTP to live your best life. I appreciate you. I'll catch you on the next episode.
So this is a reminder that I'm going to probably start putting at the end of every show to let you know that this is just a show by a person that's just talking about what I think I know. And it's a lot of it is personal opinion or interpretations of ideas. And I personally am not going to attach or take any uh, personal responsibility for how you carry this information forward into your life. It is ultimately your responsibility to continue to research, to filter, to figure out what's true for you, to figure out how the world works on your own terms. From your perspective, I can only talk about my perspective. I can only talk about what I know or what I think I know. So do your best and don't take anything that I say as gospel. I hope that you can take whatever I'm sharing with you as something that you can go out into the world and experiment with. And um, I, I do hope that whatever sticks with you means a lot and does some good for you. Um, if not, do something else. <laughs> All right, this has been a C-Note Media, C-Note Studio, C-Note.Studio podcast. I'll catch you on the next one. And one final thing. I'm looking for sponsors. Uh, If you feel like what you offer, what you do, what you represent is something that my listeners would connect with, please send me an email at dopaminepodcast at gmail.com. Let's talk about numbers and possibilities and um, see if we can work together. That would be amazing. I would love to be able to get more revenue into this show so that I can do more shows and and do this whole thing. So dopaminepodcast at gmail.com. Put sponsorship in the title and I will check it out and we will chat. Thanks. So I've started to review the podcast and thought I would add a couple of supplemental things. Um, Mostly I got to thinking about where we are now and really trying to define that a little bit more clearly. Um, Mostly in that towards the end of the book, it talks about this idea of a uh, elder person that there is this sort of clinging to the past. And I think Joe Biden kind of represents the last ditch effort of the artist generation to instill the values of that last saculum as we move on to the next one. And so like, there's the idea of like the infrastructure bill and all of that stuff, a lot of focus on rebuilding the previous world. And I think what, may end up happening is like, yeah, there will be a lot of improvement and a lot of getting things back in shape, but I think the high will probably bring a lot of innovation and a lot of changes. So while that is also necessary, I think this is very much a last ditch effort for the artists generation, the previous artist generation, the silent generation. It's the last ditch effort to maintain relevancy. And as the torch gets passed to whomever takes the mantle next in terms of the the dominant power in the generational American society. Uh, and then there's the, 
this notion of like, is the next generation around? Uh, it's tough to say because I feel like we're still very much in the crisis and the next generation is typically born through the end of the crisis. So while I've seen some stuff reference both Gen Z and this next generation, which is being called or dubbed the alpha generation, where like the younger Gen Zs uh, have a little bit of that profit aspect to them. There's that energetic vibe. Um, There is a little bit of the indulgence starting to creep in with the very, very young kids that are around right now. But I don't think they're separate generations. Um, One thing that I think is marking Gen Z is this uh, customization aspect. They're almost getting it at a really young age and we're seeing it. And then I imagine that will manifest again as they get older, this desire to, uh, and what I mean by customize is like, you've got the Fortnites and Minecrafts and Robloxes of the world, right? Like there's so much (laughs) about customization and expression for this younger generation that is really unique and interesting about, you know, the artist generation moniker. And I think something about the artist generation is what we're seeing in real time now is the plucking of the last hundred years of stuff. There's like a mining of the last hundred years of things and resurrecting them and bringing them back into relevant, bringing them back into relevancy. So while you've got the silent generation of Joe Biden, for example, and those who are in government who are still of the silent generation, those older uh, Senate seats and stuff like that, um, very much trying to maintain what represented their previous hundred years. You've got the current hard, artist generation defining through art, through expression, through clothing, through what they find interesting over the last hundred years, defining this seculum. And so I think that's very interesting that the artist generation sort of takes that mantle of defining the last hundred years because they are born at the tail end of the seculum and they have a lot of relevant modern history to pull from. They have three previous generations that are influencing them. And so they go into the past and instead of what was typically a nostalgia for the last 20 years, which I think is still relevant a nostalgia of the last 20 years, it's more mining the last hundred years. I've seen bands with mixtures of looks, you know, there was, um, I forget the name of the band, but they were recently on Saturday night live and the front man reminded me of Jane's addiction. And then there's also like a sixties look and it's like a little bits of every decade from the last hundred years, 80 years or so, um, were applied into their look and they're very much Gen Z going into young adult, right? And you see that, you know, bucket hats are coming back. You've got certain kinds of uh, looks that are mixed mishmashes of the last hundred years. And I think that is a, uh, an example of the artist generation doing its magic. Now it happens to be way more pervasive because there is so much of the last hundred years that has been recorded and that can be mined through. Whereas the previous seculum was like, you know, it was pre-internet, pre-television, pre uh, a lot of mass communication, a lot of mass awareness of looks and styles and things like that. So this mimetic version of the artist generation, Gen Z, is going to look very different than its previous mimetic uh, counterpart of the artist generation. The artist generation was very much like, 
you know, the, the 1920s, uh, 1930s, probably later than that, cause they were born in 1920s. Um, but very much bringing like the, the, the last hundred years of those sort of styles and looks and vibes and, and, um, ways of creating and expressing culminating into this artistic expression. Cause that's a lot of what creativity is, right. And is this culmination of, of patterns and, and putting these patterns together and seeing how they all mash together. And I think that's what the artist generation is essentially doing right now. And that to me is very interesting. It's actually making, I mean, it's making what things that I probably would have dismissed as like not interesting or not, you not anything you could do anything with as like interesting again, you know, bring back like Walkmans and certain headphones and record players and, um, uh, bucket hats <laughs> and, uh, uh, baggy jeans and baggy clothes and things that like were easily dismissible as like, ugh, like, like something to be ashamed of by the generation that they, that grew up with it. But now Gen Z is like, oh, let's make this our own. Let's mishmash this. Let's make it interesting. Let's there. It's almost like the great remix generation in a way. And so I think those at the tail end of this are going to be more indulgent in the spoils of that. Um, but you've got a lot of the artist generation, which I think is, is led by the likes of like Billie Eilish and uh, in terms of culturally, like big picture culturally, you've got Billie Eilish um, and there are a couple others, but I, I just can't remember the names, but there's certain styles and tones that are marking the generation. And so the question of like, is there this split between the generation Z and like an alpha generation? I don't quite think so because we're not quite through this crisis mode yet. And I think there's going to be a, a more clear delineation between this current bundled generation, what, which feels like two different generations and the distinction between this bundle, this last 20 years and what the next 20 years will look like. We're just in it. So when you're in it, it just feels like soup and you don't really see the distinctions, but I think the, I think the distinctions will become more clear in the next few years. So I think that was important to talk about. Um, you know, there's some things I, I listened back and I'm like, Oh, that's not quite right. But, you know, I encourage you again to go through and, and do some of your own research if this is interesting to you. And uh, I will keep probably keep talking about this and try to find ways to simplify how to talk about this in a way that's more palatable um, and accurate. But if you'll go through the book, like you'll see that there's so many different charts and so many different correlations and expressions. Uh, for example, something I forgot to cover is that the four generations are delineated by four archetypes, four temperaments of like Carl Jung's um, different personality archetypes. So boomers tend to represent intuitive feeling preferences. Uh, the Gen X represents more sensor judger sensibilities, more practical, right? Uh, then you've got millennial that's more NT intuitive thinker trying to, you know, being sort of basically cast into this role of thinking about the future. And then you've got the um, SPs of the Gen Z, which is going to be more about uh, eventually being more pragmatic, but right now is more expressive and more um, uh, protected. So, uh, you know, those are just things to think about and consider and see if they make sense to you from what you know about all this stuff. So, um, 
yeah, I think that's it. I just wanted to add those little supplements to give you something to think about for how things are going today. Um, and then most likely I'm saying my prediction here is that once Joe Biden's presidency is done in 2024, that that will start to see a shift in a different direction based on probably people's voting patterns and who we vote for and how that has a trickle effect across the culture. And we'll probably land on some sort of ideals that we'll be striving towards and things will just kind of shift into more of a high mode. I don't know, but based on the pattern, sees that someone's just saying that's a possibility. So we'll check back and see how it goes. So I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this little supplement. And I'll catch you on the next episode.